So, uh, you know, is that what you're talking about? Are you doing some kind of subversive thing here to convert people secretly to libertarians? Absolutely not. And I'll explain everything in just a second as soon as we get through our house cleaning. House cleaning today. Uh, number one, if you think you get more than 25 cents in value out of every episode of the Survival Podcast, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You will get exclusive content only available to members. There is a badge on the website, the survivalpodcast.com, where you can join the Member Support Brigade, and I always put a link in the show notes as well for those that are interested in doing that. Uh, also, check out our sponsors. Uh, check out check out Ready Made Resources. Uh, they're a great sponsor. They have some really cool stuff, great pricing, great reputation online, uh, just absolutely stand-up guys, and uh, they're a great sponsor, and they help make doing the show possible. Uh, next thing, Region 5's big bug-out, camp-out, get-together is getting very, very close. Please consider coming on down, and yes, if you live outside of Region 5, you are still welcome. You are welcome to come from Australia if you really want to come that far just to eat beans and barbecue with Dan Tanner and me. Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's let it go there today and be brief with the house cleaning and move on to uh, to today's topic and in this little statement that I made. Absolutely not. It's not. It's not to the survival podcast. It's my secret plot to turn you into a libertarian. In fact, um, I don't really talk that much about politics anymore. I do on occasion. I talked about it quite a bit in in the uh, the beginning because we were coming up to an election, and there was a lot of news out there and a lot of things that were going on, and there were decisions people were making, and it was a hot topic. Right now, we've got an ass clown of a president uh, that's replaced a prior ass clown of a president. So let me say that again, so that those of you that are married to either one of these guys and think when I say something bad about the other, I'm you know I'm I'm supporting. We have an ass clown of a president who has been replaced by a previous ass clown of a president. There's my libertarian bent. What we've had going on here is the deliberate destruction of the Constitution, our liberties, and the free market. And uh, George Bush did it, and Barack Obama's doing it. They do it in different ways, but they're taking us to the same place. George Bush doubled our spending and increased our debt. Barack Obama, in his first couple days, doubled our spending and is increasing our debt. Every single president since Woodrow Wilson has increased our spending and increased our debt except for one. Except for one. It was one president that reduced our spending. And uh, I'm not going to tell you who it was. I'm going to let that open in the show notes. Somebody tell me which president reduced spending, or under whose administration, I wouldn't say the president did it, under whose administration was spending reduced between Woodrow Wilson and Barack Obama. There's your little project to learn something today. Because one thing you're going to find out about libertarians, true libertarians are very informed people. They know a lot about what's going on and how we got here, and they're not married to the left-right nonsense. Now, what is this topic really all about for me? This topic is about the fact that somebody just visually did a forum post, and I'm not, I'm not going to point it out and single this person out because I don't think it would be fair, but basically saying that, that um, survivalism is not liberal or conservative. It's simply you see a threat and you prep for it. I could not disagree more, and I completely agree at the same time. There's libertarianism for you. What the heck's going on? What's this guy talking about? Here's, here's what I mean. Survivalism is not liberal or conservative. I agree. 
It is simply you see a, a threat and you prepare for it. I disagree. If all you do as a survivalist is look at potential threats and prepare to deal with them, that's not really survivalism. Because it's not a lifestyle, it's not a mindset. What that means is you're not preparing for threats that you do not see. You're not involved in improving your lifestyle. You're not involved in improving your sustainability. You're simply in a reactive, a purely reactive mode. It's like cut a jerk off in traffic. And you know what? Hold on, folks. I need to do something here. Yeah, that made me feel better because you're a jerk. Anyway, um... <laughs> I, 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 give me just, okay, I had to pause and laugh there for a second. Some people are such jerks. Anyway, um, if all you're doing as a survivalist is being in a reactive mode, you're not improving your sustainability and your independence. You're not engaged in improving your lifestyle, and you're not engaged in lifestyle planning. You're not sitting down and just determining, how do I want to live? How exactly do I want to live today, tomorrow, and in the future? And how do I set up my life to get there? So that whatever goes to hell around me doesn't matter because I'm in control of my own destiny. That's what yesterday was show was all about. And that's what survivalism is at its core. Because then I don't have to worry about what am I prepping for. It doesn't matter if it's the swine flu coming back this fall and mutating. And for those of you that don't think it can happen, it can. And for those that think they're lying about it now and telling us, mild it's really not, it, they aren't. It is mild right now. You can look at the results that we're having from it. There is a big overreaction. But if you're a survivalist, it's not that important. Because whatever comes your way, you're prepared to deal with as best you can. Because you don't see a threat and prepare for it. You set up a lifestyle that is as immune to threats as possible or as resistant to threats as possible and able to withstand as much collapse around you as possible. And that's why I say it's going to turn you into a libertarian. Before I say anything else about libertarian, let me explain the difference, if you want to call it that, between two factions of what of people that call themselves libertarians. There's libertarians that say, I'm a libertarian, but no libertarian would be part of the libertarian party, the actual libertarian political party. So they say, well, I'm libertarian small l. And that basically means that they expose the values and the theories and the realities of true libertarianism, but they're not married to any political party whatsoever, because if you're truly a libertarian, you wouldn't be married to any political party. And then there's libertarians that say, well, I support the party platform, and I'm a card-carrying member of the libertarian party. And I'll tell you there's also a third branch of libertarian. There's the libertarian that's me, and I say I'm both. I support the libertarian party, because at least they're doing something, and at least they're an alternative. I think that their platform is a little bit too extreme and too radical, and uh, it, it, it doesn't create a place where people that are dissatisfied can go to, because everybody seems to find something they highly disagree with. And they don't do a very good job of marketing themselves, but at least when there's two people in Texas now, in most elections, and I go, I don't want either one of these assholes, 
I get a third choice. And it's usually a libertarian, and I'm happy to vote for them. So there is that difference there. That difference is really not that important. There is a core guiding principle of libertarianism that can be summed up by one of the great thinkers of our time, a gentleman named Oliver Wendell Holmes. And what Oliver said was, you know what? I can swing my fist all I want. I have complete and total liberty to swing my fist. I can swing my fist until I hit the ground from exhaustion. And no one should do anything to stop me. Until the point at which my fist impacts the nose of my fellow man. Once I do that, I have infringed on his right not to be molested. And he put it pretty simple when he said, the right to swing my fist ends where the other man's nose begins. That is a summation of libertarianism. And you're probably a libertarian and don't know it. And as you're, as you, the reason I say survivalism will turn you into a libertarian is it, it will expose what's already there. It's like a sculptor with a great big square piece of marble. And he chips it away and you end up with a, with a beautiful statue of an angel. And you say, you created that. And the sculptor says, I didn't create it. It was in there. I just took away the pieces that were hiding it. And that's what I think survivalism does to the libertarian bent that's in most people. Let me explain one of the libertarian bents that you've probably experienced recently. As you watched Wall Street getting bailed out, you watched GM and Chrysler getting bailed out just to go bankrupt anyway. As you watched the Federal Reserve pump trillions of dollars to financial institutions, and they wouldn't even tell us which ones they were, and they won't tell us what the, where the money went, what effect it's having, or where it's going. As you watched all of your money in the future of your nation be pumped in to all of this crap, and you said, wait a minute, these people made this mess, let them fail, let them fall on their asses, let the system work and let them rebuild. Many of you that said that lied to yourself and said, that's being a Republican. Well, a Republican president started giving them the money. And a Republican Congress, uh, the Republicans in Congress, and the Republicans in, in the Senate supported a large majority giving them that money right up until the point and there was a Democratic uh, president and they were making a political statement with no consequences because they knew that it was going to pass anyway. So that wasn't Republican in its ideal, not the Republican Party that we had today screaming out, stop, stop, wait, let these people fail, they made their own mess. That was the person inside of you that's a libertarian. That was actions have consequences. And when you do something stupid, you don't get somebody else to come bail you out. In other words, a libertarian would tell you, you can do whatever you want. I don't care what you do, as long as you don't hurt anybody else in the process, and as long as when your chickens come home to roost and you have to deal with the consequences, you get the responsibility of dealing with those consequences to yourself. See, libertarianism is about liberty. It's not about exactly who you vote for, it's about 
are the people that are supposedly leading us, leaving us as servants or leading us as overlords? Do they have the best interest of the American people in their minds? Or are they tied up in corporate greed? And are we actually running in a fascist nation today? And, and folks, this nation is fascist. And I've said that before, and people come back and oh my God, Jack, how can you say that we're fascist? We're not fascist. The, the fascists killed all those people, and they had concentration camps. And No, they didn't. No, 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 that's one fascist. That's one fascist regime. Adolf Hitler's fascist regime had concentration camps and killed lots of people, yes. And that was something that his fascist government went and did. Plenty of communist governments have rounded up people and killed them. Fascism and communism are vastly different. And plenty of communist governments have not rounded up people and killed them. And let me give you a fascist government that didn't round up a bunch of people and try to commit genocide. Italy! Mussolini was a fascist. Mussolini was a bad dude. Mussolini did a lot of things that were inherently evil to his population. There are people that were oppressed by Mussolini. And you could get whacked. Alright, to put it in Italian, you could get whacked under Mussolini. But he didn't have concentration camps. That's not what made the Nazis fascist. Fascist is a system of economics. Let me explain to you what fascist economics is. Fascist economics is a system of economics that is not to the extreme of laissez-faire capitalism or communism. It is a third way of doing things. It is a corporatism whereby the government and industry work together and they utilize the differences in the classes, the lower, the lower middle, the middle, the upper middle, and the wealthy, as a means by which to advance the nation forward. They see the difference between the classes as being advantageous and good for society. In other words, it is a good thing that there is a poor. It is a good thing that there's a low middle class. It's a good thing there's a middle class. There's a good thing there's an affluent. And there's a good thing that there's a wealthy. And the Divides between them are advantageous to both industry and the state. And the two work in consort to further the agenda of both through the use of economic and political policy working side by side. That is a fascist economic system. Tell me that's not America today. Tell me I didn't give you a text book explanation of how large corporations, I'm not talking about Sam and Joe running their $5 million or even their $50 million company. I'm talking about the big corporations, the ones that are big enough to influence government. The multi-billion dollar corporations are completely in bed with our government today. They work together. They utilize the divisions in the classes. Everything from marketing to politics sees advantage in the class divisions. And the classes are pitted against each other, and the classes have different marketing messages sent to them. Explain that to you in a very, very simple way. When we put together a program to market to a big company, a company the size of like Verizon or AT&T, 
and we're marketing a product that can improve what they do from an efficiency standpoint. Let's say that's a marketing firm's agenda. What that that firms will do is say, well, wait a minute, uh, you're not marketing to Verizon. Verizon has you know you know hundreds of thousands of people that work for them. So does AT and T. You're not marketing to all of them. You're only marketing to some of them. Of that group, you're marketing one message we need to come up with and a strategy to get it in front of them. It's the C-layer, the chief officers. And they have one level of concern, and that's shareholder value. On a second tier, right, there's like your VP level, and they're more worried about day-to-day operations. So you have a different um, message for them and cost control and things like that. And then the next level down, if you're talking about efficiency, you're dealing with the operational people that actually do the work, and you want to have a third message for them. And then you try to get that message spread umbrella across the board and get as much buy-in across the board, and then you try to market your product into the organization you're trying to sell to. Right? Politics today, what we do is we say, okay, we're marketing a Republican message, and our Republican spectrum is X to Y. In there we have people that are soccer moms. We have a message for them. And it just keeps going. And when they try to sell you a doodad, they market a car to lower-income lower people. They market another car to upper-income people. And then the two of them work together to utilize that system, system to get the big agenda forward, which is more money for the companies and more power for the government. The vast difference in the American economic fascism that we see today and the fascism of Italy and the fascism of Nazi Germany and other fascist dictatorships in the past is in most of those other nations, the controller was the government. The government controlled industry, and industry was allowed to flourish at the pleasure of government. All right? So government had the hand above industry. It was controlling. In our nation today, that's been flip-flopped. There's so much money that flows from the corporations into the government in so many different ways that the, the simple fact and the old adage is when one hand gives money to another hand, the hand doing the giving is always in control because the hand doing the giving is always above the hand doing the receiving. So our government now has its hand out to big business. And you might say, wait, wait, wait a minute. Look, at business is, uh, is, is today the ones going to give us money. Yeah, one segment. One segment. And there's still massive amounts of money being pumped right back into our government. And the big difference between the libertarian and the liberal or the conservative is the libertarian is aware of all this. Just simply sees it for what it is. Sits back and says, you know what? I don't want to play this game anymore. I don't want to be polarized to the left, and I don't want to be polarized to the right. I want to sit down and I want to look at the Constitution that's supposed to be the guiding body of our nation, and I want to run my nation according to the Constitution, even if I don't like certain parts of it, because that's what we're supposed to do. And the libertarian is aware of, you know, even some of the founding fathers that weren't exactly enamored with the Constitution because they felt the Constitution gave too much power to government. That there still was a genius in the way that the Constitution was written. The Constitution was written so that if we ran our government by it, it's actually very difficult for the government to get most things done. There are so many checks and balances, and and the checks and balances are beyond just three branches of government. There's a check against the federal government by the state, and there's a check against the state government by the Fed. 
There's a check against everything by the juror. One day we'll do it. Somebody just sent me a great article today about the rights you have as a juror and a process known as jury nullification. It's something that I've actually done a lot of research on in the past. I almost did it on today, today's show, but I figured it was time to do something different. Or I just didn't feel I had, uh, had enough time uh, when I saw that article to, to, to really talk about that. So I decided to do this show instead. But we're going to do something on that. But the juror actually has the ability to look in and say, this is simply unjust. And even though this person technically committed a crime, convicting them is unjust. And the juror can say, no, we're not doing it. That's you as a private citizen serving on a jury. Even when a judge tells you you're not allowed to do it, you can still do it. And if there's a consensus among the jury that the person is to go free, the person is to go free. Or that they are to be convicted of a lower crime. Even one that the uh, the government didn't choose to bring against them. And, and they say, well, we'll give you a guilty conviction on this. But that, that, that system of checks and balances there. The libertarian looks at this and says, you know what, folks? Before we got into all this modernism and, and, and policy and Federal Reserve nonsense, you know what people used to talk about in politics? Can they do this? Every time the government passed a law, the question that the people asked first and discussed among themselves wasn't, is this a good thing or a bad thing? That didn't matter until you got past the first question. Do they have the authority to do this under the Constitution? The libertarian is aware that if the Constitution doesn't specifically say the federal government has the power to do something, then they don't. Let me say that again. If the Constitution doesn't specifically say that the federal government has the power to do something, then they don't. And it's porn, so I'm going to pause a second, guys. The libertarian is aware that the, uh, the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution is not just about states' rights. It's about people's rights. What it actually says is if the power is not expressly granted to the federal government... Then, then, and it's not expressly forbid by the Constitution, then it rests with the states or with the people. So if the Constitution doesn't say the government can't do something, that doesn't mean the federal government is supposed to be able to do it. It's supposed to be, mean that the states are able to do it at the discretion and the pleasure of the people. In other words, if the people of the state say, you know what, we're not going to do that, then their state doesn't get to do that because each of the states has a democratically elected form of government. That is a federal republic that we're talking about, not a democracy. And the libertarian simply wants our government to live by its own rules. That's it. So tell me if you're a libertarian or not at this point. The libertarian also says, you know what? What I make, what I earn, is mine. And if I want to be charitable and give it away, I should have the ability to decide who I give it to, where it goes, and how much that I give. No one else should be coming in to my home, so to speak, putting their hand into my money or my stuff and taking it away from me and saying, you have too much, we need to give this to somebody else. Folks, that's the income tax, and that's every other tax that we have. Now, I'm not totally opposed to all taxes. If you want to put a tax on the sale of goods, I'm not that upset about it as long as 
you're not taxing goods that absolutely are required for existence. In other words, I don't think we should tax water. I really don't. <laughs> I, I don't care if water is sold. It shouldn't be taxed. It's an essential for life. You have to get water from somewhere. And there's other things like that that I feel that way about. But if you tax the sale of something, then I have a choice not to buy it. So I have a choice not to pay your tax. Keep in mind, though, it was sales tax. It was a big uh, part of what caused the American Revolution because the tax was excessive. But the reality is, and this is something else many libertarians are aware of, that most people are not. We didn't fight the American Revolution about taxes. We didn't fight it about no taxation without representation. That was a small component of the overreaching problem. The number one reason that we fought the American Revolution was because the King of England and the Bank of England refused to allow the colonists to operate an honest and debt-free currency. In other words, they, they had their own version of the Federal Reserve in the Bank of England even back then. And all money was debt. And they wanted us to use their money in our colonies. And we didn't want to use their money, so we printed our own money. We had our own banks. And our own banks held their own gold, and they produced a note, a banknote. And the banknote said that this note is good for $10 worth of gold from the Bank of Philadelphia. And you could spend that $10 note with anybody that, that had access to the Bank of Philadelphia. They were happy to take it. They knew that it was valuable, and they could spend it. It worked just like our money used to before the dawn of the Federal Reserve. And we set that up ourselves here in America. And England refused to allow us to continue to do that because it made the colonies debt-free. They had no debt back to England. Taxes were one thing. Debt was much more insidious and much more useful and much easier to control. So that's what they wanted. That's what really caused the American Revolution. Did they teach you that in your history class? Did you, did you learn that? Now, did I just make this up? What's my source on such nonsense, such hooey? Of course it was no taxation without representation. Who, who do I source to say that this is true? How about this guy? You ever hear him? Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin is on record in writing saying that the refusal of King James to allow the colonists to honor, uh, run an honest currency was probably the chief cause of the American Revolution. So don't believe me, believe Ben. And I believe that Ben today would be a libertarian. It's, it's a very simple philosophy of life, and I, I encourage you to examine it. And I'll tell you this, it will challenge certain things that you believe. But if you look at them honestly, you may find that, why do you believe this? Who told you to believe this? Which side of the marketing message have you been listening to? How do you conquer a nation like America? How do you take the freest nation in the world and enslave it? How do you control a population that carved a nation out of wilderness and made it the most prosperous in the world in less than 150 years. Because, yeah, we've been around more than 150 years now, but within 150 years of the foundation of America as a true and independent nation, it was the most prosperous place in the world, and it still is. How do you possibly enslave such a people, control such a people, and manipulate such a people. The very first thing that you must do to them is you must divide them. 
together, they are too powerful, they are too strong, and there's absolutely no way that you can control them or enslave them. So you must first divide. The next thing you must do is you must laden debt upon them. You must have them be in debt as individuals, and you must have them be in debt as a nation. First step, you create a Federal Reserve System. Once you have a Federal Reserve System, there is no way the nation can ever be free of debt. In our economy today, if no one owed anybody anything, there would be no money. That's not me. My source on that is the Federal Reserve itself. That's how a fractional reserve system, which is the banking system that we run under today, works. Somebody has to owe somebody money. And you pull out a dollar from your wallet and look at it right now. Look at a dollar. That is not a dollar. That's not money. That's a certificate for debt. That dollar in your hand represents a dollar plus some amount more money depending on how long it's been in circulation and what the current interest rates are, there's a certain number of cents on top of that dollar that it represents in debt back. Libertarian realizes this this is not a good thing. This doesn't make any sense. And then look at the debt slavery that we've been talking about this week that most people are in. Credit card debt, car debt, house debt, consumer debt. Personal loans. Leverage this, leverage that. We even we even have people for, for 100 years now buying stock with debt. Investing with debt. Debt, 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 debt. You say, well, wouldn't the libertarian be okay with debt? Isn't the libertarian for free enterprise? If I want to loan John money and charge him interest to pay me back, wouldn't the libertarian be okay with that? Absolutely, you can loan John money and charge him interest to pay it back, if you and John agree to that. But the entire nation's currency should not be a debt that they have no control over, that they have no choice in that is shoved down their throat, that enslaves their nation for years. That's what we have going on today. But what's the real reason that survivalism is going to turn you into a libertarian? Because if you live the survivalist lifestyle long enough, what's going to happen to you is you're going to become self-sufficient and independent. You're not going to need anybody or anything. You're going to be able to get by just fine if the economy's good. If the economy's bad, you'll be able to get through it. You won't be worried about making payments because you won't have any because eventually you'll pay off all your debt. You won't be worried about putting food on the table because you'll have some stored up. You'll be producing some of your own and you'll have methods in place to store food. You won't be worried about somebody breaking into your home because you'll know that you have the ability to send them out horizontal if they do. There's so many things that the average person is afraid of that you won't be afraid of anymore that you will have to change the way you think because you will no longer act in fear. And that's the big thing. Letting go of the fear. The biggest reason that the people of this nation today sell out to the government and allow their liberties to be trampled on and make deals with the devil is because of fear. We need Social Security because when I get old, I need something to take care of me. I won't be able to take care of myself anymore. They no longer have any confidence in the ability to build wealth that will last. Oh, we need Medicaid. What about the poor people that can't go to the hospital? Because we know we've we've burdened doctors to the point where they can't afford to give away low-cost treatment or free treatment anymore. So we've created fear. 
Well, what if, what if I don't have enough money to put food on the table because I have no confidence in my income and I have no confidence in my pantry because it's only one week deep? When you become a survivalist, eventually you will take away all these fears and then it is impossible for you to be fooled. It is impossible for you to be tricked, and it is impossible for you to be willing to give up the liberty you have claimed for yourself. And at that point, you will say, oh, hell no. You're not taking what I've built. And at that point, you'll be a libertarian, whether you call yourself a libertarian or not. Because you will expose the ideas and the values of liberty. And that's what I meant when I said that. So um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up today. Today's been kind of a crazy podcast. I didn't tell you guys what was going on. It's pouring rain one minute. The sun's out the next. There's giant trucks trying to run me off the road. Um, it, it's been a tough one. And I've got that rain where it just makes your window nasty and uh, a lot more background noise than normal, a little bit of distraction here. People calling me on the phone. So today was truly, truly a challenging podcast to do mobily. Hopefully I still made it good for you. Hopefully it'll help fulfill that show mission. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. It really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.